HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Heritage Foods USA, the nation's largest distributor of heritage breed pigs and turkeys. For more information, visit heritagefoodsusa.com. I'm Damon Bolte, host of The Speakeasy. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Your love is chloroform perfume. Just one whiff and you start to swim. Now tell me. Welcome to Love Bites, coming at you live from Heritage Radio Network. Today is Monday, February 15th. I'm one of your hosts, Jacqueline Raposo. I write about people who make food. You can find my work and me as wordsfoodart.com. I'm 34 straight and single. And I am your other host, Ben Rosenblatt. I am an actor, writer, musician, occasional bartender, and server. You can check me out at benrosenblattactor.com. I am 33 straight and and happily single. Happily single. Um, so the reason why we were chuckling at the top is because that was our theme song from last it's season. It's a throwback, love. Baby. It's a throwback. Today is like flashback Monday, which doesn't, which there's no alliteration there, but That's whatever. That was just, so Jack is, in, is our engineer in the studio today. Welcome back, Jack. Oh, thanks. We're excited to have Jack here because we lost our wonderful Liz Smith to Bloomberg, which we told you about last week. So we're excited to have Jack back. So that was our chloroform perfume sung by my co-host, the most badass crooner, <coughs> front man. <laughs> For uh, the van, no denial. So yeah, so that was that. Um, that's why I was laughing. Sorry about that, people. Um, so today, in a little bit, we're going to be joined by Andre Mack. He is a former sommelier for Thomas Keller and the owner of Moutin Noir Wines, who's going to speak with us about his own industry romance that led to his now third child coming on the way. And we're going to talk about how badass him and his wife are in that regard. Um, but first, Benjamin. Yes. So two weeks ago, we gave ourselves the challenge of sending a crapload of online dating messages at once, and then we were going to track the responses we got and what happened with them. So we should probably report, because I think we're both a little exhausted and by little, the past two weeks. And a little pissed off. A little bitter, a little annoyed. <laughs> like, I feel like I, wait, I, feel like I spent a lot of time the past two weeks. And how did it work out for you? Um, well, let me look at the numbers. So 
Um, I love how you got your like Excel spreadsheet out here. Oh my god, you actually do have an Excel spreadsheet. I do. I mean, you are the biggest nerd I've ever met in my entire life. Well, I like to learn things, and so I like I wanted to be able to properly analyze what I did. Okay, what do the numbers? The numbers say that I sent out thirty three messages. I tried to do forty, and I just got tired of looking at profiles. Thirty three, though. Okay, thirty three messages over basically two days. Like I did one on Friday of one week, and then the next week I think on Wednesday when we decided to keep going. So out of those thirty three, thirteen replied which is like 40 percent which is fine but then out of those only six did a second reply like only so like so you wrote I, them back and then they didn't and then they didn't again. write me back again um, six did six did so out of like all of the 33 18 percent overall like led it to an actual correspondence okay. why are you laughing for those at statisticians me? out there for the um. <laughs> um but yeah so it was based and so there were a couple situations of like i also tracked on my spreadsheet like which led to texting Ooh, how many uh, led to texting? so far three okay and how are the how's the text exchange how are the text exchanges well one ended with a dude go- i also tracked you ghosted um after both online messaging and texting and the most annoying one was uh, that went to text was a dude who lives like far out in brooklyn and i was wavering about him to begin with i was sort of like ah like whatever but you know for research sake for the radio show and i also made sure that if anybody knew that i was like being bold and forward and messaging because of the radio show that our request on this show is still to find relationships and still to find love and still to find sex and still it's not like we're not doing this just because we have a radio show right it's not like we're reporting here and then like this is all going to disappear did you tell people that you are only sending messages no um i think like no not that i'm only but i think two or three of them i was like normally i'd be a little bit shy or normally i wouldn't be so forward but like it says on my profile that i have a radio show it doesn't say it's about relationships but they pretty much 90% 90% of people ask, 90% of guys ask. Okay. So when I did, two of them assumed that when I said that this was encouraged by my radio show, that I wanted them to come on the radio show. Oh, really? And they were like, ooh, well, I'd consider coming on your radio show. And, and you're like, I, I didn't like, ask you to be on my radio like, show. I was like, dude, check your ego. <laughs> it's like, I'm not asking you to come on. I'm just, you know, something was good in your profile or whatever. So anyway, so there was, there was a couple of those. But then the dude who uh, I was texting with, who I was wah about anyway, he asked me where I lived. And when I say I live up by Harlem, uh, he's like, oh, well, I live far out in Brooklyn. So, it's, you know, you seem really cool and cute, but it's probably not going to work out. And I was like, dude, are you serious? I was like, I literally, I texted him back. I was like, are you serious? That's the lamest thing I've ever heard. Look, it's February Ghosted. here in New York City. It's cold. No one wants to be hiking up to Harlem to get a little nookie. I come you to know, Brooklyn. You want to get that in the neighborhood. Every Monday. You know? And the whole thing about it, yeah, it's winter, so you go, you can go to another borough and then just sort of stay there. You so know? You look, well, that's a good point. You can like, yeah, you, you know, go and you hibernate together. with someone. Yeah. All right. So, so anyway. So I have a question. Of these 33 people that you yes. messaged, like, were you prepared and willing to like go on a date if it led there with any of the 33 like you were into all 33 of these guys i was into like maybe 15 or 20 of them the other ones yeah i would have because you know again it's not just for the radio the biggest one of the biggest things i learned about just scrolling through so many profiles is that like i thought back to dates that i've got that i've gone on that have gone well you and i've talked a lot on the show about expectations how 
sort of the date, the, the success of the date is sometimes relative to the expectations you put on the date. Okay. And so I realized that some of the dates where I've had like the lowest expectations or where the profile didn't necessarily really turn me on actually led to really good dates with people. So you went looking for like the worst profiles. No, I just like <laughs> so opened, that. I just opened up a little bit because I sort of had to in order to get those numbers off. In order to like, the first time I think I messaged eight, 17 or 18 guys in a day. So I had to sort of like broaden my scope a tiny bit. Because you never know who you're going to meet in real life. On the flip side, people that look perfect on paper, we've talked about this a lot too. You meet them and it's whatever. I'm curious a little more about like the information behind the numbers. So you said 16 responded after the first round. Is that 13 right? Responded. 13 responded. Okay. Yeah. Of those, what were your expectations as far as like the ones who you thought might respond or the ones who it you so thought random. were like the one best matches versus the ones who it actually responded? It was so responded? random. Some of the guys that I thought were definitely better matches like didn't respond. Some that I was really hopeful would didn't. Right. So there was really it sort of it sort of really goes into the fact that you never know who the other person on the other side is. Um, and that I really feel like it's a lot of it is just chance. Ben, how many did you send out? 27. Huh. Where's your spreadsheet? How many responses? I didn't. I didn't make a f- spreadsheet. Okay. <laughs> How many? Res- it's all. In, it's all in okay, my mind. So okay. So tell me what your mind knows about your experience. So I. Oh God! It's my numbers are not quite as um, uplifting as yours. Okay. Um, I sent out. Fess up. I sent out twenty-seven messages. Okay. I, I did okay. the same thing in in over two days. All it was right. that first Friday where we had agreed we were going to do it. I sent out about fifteen, and then I sent out another twelve one day the next week. Out of the 27 total messages that I sent out, <laughs> I got one response. Oh. Don't, oh, don't. No, no, it's, no, me, that okay? sucks because guys are the ones that do the messaging more. And so that really, like, I know how exhausted I am from this experience. I can't imagine doing all of that and getting one response. It, well, it's, it, like you said, one, it's exhausting. Two, it's frustrating. Um, and then. Did you want to, did you particularly want this person to respond? No, it was like someone who I like didn't necessarily think would or didn't think I... It was actually just like more of like a... All right, so I found myself like having several different types of messages that I would send out, um, depending on what I gathered from the person's profile, right? So this is on NokiaCupid that we're talking about here. So there's like more of a profile. Right. And you have more to respond to than you would like yeah, on Tinder or Hinge yeah. or whatever. So... Um, when I found like I really had something that I connected with in someone's profile or it's that I really had like a shared interest or a shared, you know, personality right. trait, then I would like write something more about that. Yeah, about that and right. like something that I really felt was like, Oh, this person's gonna respond to this because it's interesting. And, and they I don't. know this person is interesting. Right. And they don't. And then when like Ugh. it's like just like a toss off yeah. and it's just like, all right, this person there's nothing really here for me to Right. But she's cute and so yeah, like what I, that the was hell, me I'll branching out. I did it, a couple you know? of those for that reason. And like that's actually where I feel like well, I got one response, but <laughs> that's like that one that's what the one response was. It was just like uh. a it was like a flirty, casual, like non sequitur. And how know? are you still messaging with her? No, so like right. that, like lasted like a couple messages, and so died. so we've talked about how uh, hard it is in general for men because of the fact that you spend time combing profiles and writing it's more numbers, than women. More of do. a numbers game, right? Too, I feel like well, which I didn't honestly, which I wasn't sure about until I did this, and I was like, oh, forty percent is more than what you had told me in the past. Your sort of average was, um, and I don't think that we're unique to this. I don't think that this says anything about us particularly. Um, 
But what is your, from doing this at once and actually just sort of doing it as a project, what is your greatest takeaway? How do you feel? Are you going to try to do anything differently? Well, I wonder a couple things. Uh, one is like, do I need to alter my OkCupid profile a little bit to something that's going to like garner me more responses? Do you think you do? I don't know. I don't um, think so. That's the thing. I don't think so. I think my pro, like, I don't, I think it's, I don't know. I don't. Well, you were going to say you think your profile was fine, and yeah, you got forty percent response. But I don't. But I'm not I got sure a, how much like, that I don't know. I don't have st- I didn't do my. I didn't put mine in Excel, so I don't have the exact <laughs> number on my the ratio. But for I. Me. But I mean, like, I don't know if that if that matters so much, unless you unless you put. I don't know what would attract people to getting crazy amounts of. Maybe we'll we'll do this in the future. We'll go and look at those. Like, oh, the the most number of hits on whatever. But I've now taken it. my knowledge of the fact that like the flirty kind of more flirty message got a response to like really? tinder and and i've been like getting a lot more tinder responses lately so, so being flirtier helps like being just like being a little more gameish you know like a little mm-hmm. gamesmanship actually as much as people say they don't like that it's actually like i find helping me in my tinder game for all of my my little um columns and Things I did not think about it that deeply because my my messages were so widespread. Some of them were like specific and cute. Some of them were just really quick. Some of them were whatever just to get a message out. And I feel like it was sort of pretty sim- like the response rate was sort of pretty similar. But how do you feel? How does like how do you, how do you feel about the fact that you sent twenty seven messages out and got one response? When you put about it like that, dating. I feel like shit. But like I don't have intense feelings about it. I I, I don't really have a strong feeling about it at all. I am more feeling like I am a little annoyed by online dating and just like I've always felt, obviously, as we've talked about a number of times, that meeting people in person is Mm. much better and much more uh, effective. Um, And so I am like not totally bummed out about it by any stretch and just like I'm eager to kind of like meet people in person again and kind of like over sending messages for a little bit. But I am like... You know, talking to a few people on Tinder now, so All maybe right. I'm like back done with OKCupid for a little bit and back to. Ugh. See, I tried after Tinder. last week or the week before when you even mentioned that you're on a couple of sites at once. I tried that and for like a day and I couldn't do it. Okay. I signed. I just get too. It's too much. It's too like having. I I signed up and then did not use that coffee meets bagel one and I was on Hinge for like five seconds and I just it's ugh. too much. I like can't. what? Like you get like emotionally. No, no, in I get. I'm way. tired of all the little icons on my phone that I have to constantly keep on checking in with. Like because for work I'm on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and I'm married to my computer because that's how I work and so I have to upload things to several of my clients' servers. So like I'm on the computer all the time and I was actually even more annoyed by this project because it kept me on the computer more actually like looking through profiles and sending messages like it's like it's i i'm tired of being married to electronics so i was like if i have one dating site that i can at least focus on then i am not more scattered on three dating sites so that lasted pretty much a day but my thing now is like i'm just i'm so i've got so i've got two or three potential dates coming up from this nice okay but I'm so just exacerbated by the whole thing. Like, I'm in the same thing. I mean, we've also known since we've started the show, I've like quit OkCupid like three times. I'm like, I'm done with it. And then a month and a half later, I was You're like, damn addict. it. I ha- well, no, I ha- we have a radio show about dating. I have to be trying to date. But you can date and you can try meeting people in person. I know that's true, except we've also talked about how I'm sort of like, I spend a lot of time and I don't go out as much as I used to, especially not in this weather. You know, it's cold. It's snowing again in so New York City. So do we City. need to go out, you and I, and wingman for each other? Yeah, I know. Yeah, we do. We've talked about this. So I think, I think when it, when the city starts to thaw, 
and you get back from a big project for yours that I'm sure we'll talk about before you leave, I think we need to set up a wingman challenge. Because, yeah, I'm tired of meeting people online. And we'll see. I mean, I do have three, two, three potential dates coming up. But I think my biggest takeaway was both that I can spend less time messaging, broaden my scope a little bit because of the whole, like, you never know who you're going to meet in real life. Um, and I th- actually, my biggest takeaway was that it made me bolder. It made me like I, I messaged good, guys that good. normally I would have just bookmarked. I even messaged a guy that I met years ago. He, when I was a private chef, his parents were friends with my clients. So we'd met in person, actually, like he'd come to the Hamptons house where I was cooking. So I looked like shit. Um, so he did not message me back, but it was one of those because he saw me, you know, being a cook in a kitchen in the Hamptons in the summer, but he had a great profile. And so like, normally I never would have messaged him because we met in real life. But because of this, I was sort of like emboldened to be like, screw it. Like, what do I have to lose? Exactly. Going back to Polly Cooks. Like, what do did I have to lose? No, he didn't. And I was disappointed because I was like, wait, did he just see me as like the cook in the kitchen? Oh, uh, well, <laughs> Which is perhaps. possible, but also it's awkward. Like that could have just been an awkward thing. It might have just been awkward because his parents know my former employers. Anyway. My final takeaway is that I am like way, way, way sexier than one response out of 27 messages. True. Completely true, ladies. And like, so, so true. fuck the internet. Wow. That's bold. There it is. That's a bold statement. Right so on I the think, table. Yeah, I think we're... Um, I think we're going to go to break in a second, but Ben, what do you have to tell us before we go on a break? Well, we, speaking of not getting responses, speaking of not getting any responses, we are extending. You guys, it was like Valentine's Day yesterday, and we're feeling very sad by the lack of in our lives right now. We are extending the contest for a copy of the book Unrequited by Lisa Phillips, and we're keeping it open for another week because not, not a single person not a single has entered person. the contest. Not one of you. We know people listen. So if you followed us on Twitter or on Facebook which or some on of you Instagram, did this which many of you have, you have to send us a message about Unrequited Love with the hashtag Unrequited to receive a free co- It's a free book and it's killer. It's okay? an amazing book. So get on it and we will send you a book. And, right? nobody, and nobody has done it. So like if you're questioning, like all you have to do is send us a tweet. And you'll probably win. Like, the just book. do it right now and you'll be the one. Yeah. Okay. okay? Go. All right. Did you do it? Great. <laughs> um, also, we have an amazing lineup coming up for the next month and beyond here on the show. It's so, the please, coming up. please do yourselves a favor and check that out on lovebitesradio.com. I'll be up like tomorrow or Wednesday. I'm going to just put the rest of our season up so you'll be able to see everybody who's coming and when they're coming. Brilliant. Which is exciting. Brilliant. Yeah. In the meantime, we're going to take a quick break and we will be right back with Andre Mack. This one's called Forget My Name by Zuli. there it's steve jenkins i'm with fairway markets white leghorn red wattle bourbon red navajo churro 
Well, these aren't names you're likely to hear at a fairway butcher counter or any other counter today, but before the rise of factory farming, you would have. And at Heritage Foods USA, you still do. Heritage Foods USA exists to promote genetic diversity, small family farms, and a fully traceable food supply. You see, we believe the best way to help a family farmer is to buy from them. And Heritage Foods is honored to represent a network of family farmers and artisanal producers whose work presents an immeasurable gift to our food system and to biodiversity. The meat we celebrate, whether it's Heritage Turkey, Japanese Steaks, Berkshire Pork, or Navajo Churro Lamb Chops is the righteous kind. From healthy animals of sound genetics that have been treated humanely and allowed to pursue their natural instincts. It's a simple fact. Animals raised according to this philosophy taste better. And as we like to say, you have to eat them to save them. Visit us at HeritageFoodsUSA.com for more information. Good to know. We are back with Andre Mack. Andre Mack is a very busy businessman. He was a sommelier for Thomas Keller at both the French Laundry and Per Se. He founded Mouton Noir Wines, which means black sheep in French, which supplies both to restaurants and retail stores in the United States and around the world. He owns the design firm Get Fresh Crew, which designs wine labels, coloring books, and t-shirts with really funny wine puns on them. And he has two children and a third on its way any minute with his wife, Phoebe Damrosh, who he met through work. Welcome to Love Bites, Andre. Yay, yay. We're glad to have you here. Hey, thanks for having me. This is really great on this cold, snowy day. It's freezing I out. I think of another place I'd rather be. So you brought something to warm us up. Why don't you tell us what we're about to start drinking? It's one of your wines, right? Yeah, totally. This is uh, Organ, Organ Pinot Noir. This is uh, a new company I started called Vine and Supply. Wait, it's a new company? Yeah, so it's new. How is it a new company? This is new. This is not part of our Mouton Noir lineup. This is something different that we're doing. We're working with some different vineyards. Uh based in the Willamette Valley. This is called uh, Vine and Supply. This is 2013 Pinot Noir. When I talk about Oregon Pinot Noir, you know, I, I like to talk about it being the best of both worlds, right? It has that fruit that you associate with California, meets that terroir, the taste of the land that you associate with the old world. And it meets in this place called the Willamette Valley. And they make delicious wines out there. Yes, they in do. In general. Yes, well, one do. I was gonna I was gonna pop ahead for this question. I'm gonna I'm gonna bring it here first. So one of the things about your your company that I love is that you've got a really fun way of describing your wines on your website. In general, your work is very it's very fun and very accessible. Most of your wines are really affordable. You've got a lot of fifteen dollar wines Correct. on your on your profile. Um, so you describe your love drunk wine, mm-hmm. which is I'm sure very big in February, mm-hmm. as follows: uh, the for- 2014 love drunk is an intoxicating rosé. Much like new love, it clouds the brain, causes eyes to sparkle, cheeks to glow, blood pressure to rise, and lips to puck and lips to pucker. Um, you talk with your horseshoes and hand grenades wine that like thinks think. think pits and leather whips your prices like i said are affordable so what in general with your work do you want um your wines to be contributing to the culture of wine of people drinking wine um that it's uh inclusive of everyone and everybody should enjoy wine wine is part of a lifestyle um and it's not this um elitist thing that it's been for many years for most people and i think that um you can really be into wine and not wear a suit Right, you know what I mean. Right. I think there's, I think there's this mis- misconception for a lot of people that think that you know wine is is held in high esteem. I mean, I hold it in high esteem, but I think it's fun to kind of drink it straight out of the bottle on the golf course too. How did that come to you? Because you worked at Per Se and at the French Laundry, which are not 
necessarily the everyman's restaurants. Correct. But, I, you know, part of my journey as a sommelier, I feel like that you had to... Um, you had to, to to master all the rules, and not to say that you master everything, but you have to, in order to break rules, you have to master the rules. And so for me, I've, I felt like, you know, I was in the place, I was in Texas, and I was trying to find my way and learn more about wine, uh, and that journey took me to the French Laundry in California, and then ultimately here to New York. Um, but if I was going to be a rule breaker, um, I, felt that I felt like I needed to learn the rules. Um, and so, per se, was a really great place for me to, to learn very fast and to, to taste a lot of different wines from around the world. Are there any rules that you feel like you learned on that journey that are unbreakable? Ooh, good question. No, I pretty much shit where I You've broken so I, I, totally, uh, what's, yeah, Speaking of that. <laughs> what's your favorite rule to break? Oh, man. Um, uh, technical? I would, we never presented corks. I thought that was kind of kind of a stupid thing to do right like if we're the professionals so i mean if a customer asked to see a guest asked to see a cork then we would present it but other than why that why would you why would and forgive me like why would you need to see a cork just to know that like you want like the process of opening the bottle or well, the cork i mean there's lots of different ways like you know the, people wanted to you know they want to check the authenticity of the wine uh, you can check to see if it's been stored it's properly been eroded at all yeah or, you can yeah. check all these different things but the fact is is that if you trust us enough Right, you know, in a restaurant like Per Se, it was about trust, and lots of people, you know, people turned it over to the sommeliers and, and to the staff there. Um, we just never presented corks. That was just a thing. If if we're, you know, if we're the professionals, uh, we just didn't do that. Well, speaking of Per Se, I have to ask since we, I have you here. Yeah. So a couple of weeks ago, for those of you who are listening who don't know, Per Se is one of New York City and the world's best restaurants, and it was demoted from four stars from the New York Times to two, which is very drastic. Um, and it's and a lot of people in the, in the hospitality industry have come out with their varying responses. So I'm not going to ask you for your opinion on that specifically, but as someone who's worked on both that part of the industry and also with the work you're doing now, what can someone never forget about service when you are working at the top of your industry? Because a lot of the critique was about the service. So what do you, as now a business owner and a sommelier, what does someone never need to can never forget in order to stay at the top? Well, I mean, I think you can't take the guest for granted. You can never be on cruise control, and all the small things matter, right? You can't. Everybody wants to do the four star shit. No right. one wants to do the one star shit, right. right? And the one star shit is like acknowledging people when they walk through the front door, look them in the eye, right? I think, you know, we don't. That that has kind of gone, you know, to the wayside. I feel like America's IQ about food is at an all time high, but when you walk into a restaurant, they don't give a shit about you. They look. They they won't even look you in the eye, kind of thing. Um, you know, it's really hard for me to believe that per se had fallen has fallen that far off. Um, so I, I, I'm not real sure how I feel about it. You know what I mean? Right. I, like I take I read the review a couple times and I took some of it with a grain of salt and just kind of kept it moving. I have some friends there that still work there and you know they're you know they still have their jobs. So that's good. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, we're glad no, for that. Totally. Totally. Yeah. So uh, we're a show about love and relationships, so we need to get down into <laughs> like the nitty gritty yeah, a little right, bit here. All right. You met your current wife, Phoebe, at Per Se. That is correct. What were the challenges of you know developing a romantic relationship at such a like a fancy high level you know yeah, pressure filled? Where you eat. Got yeah. it. Got it. Uh, I would probably say the number one obstacle was that I moved there with a girlfriend. <gasps> 
who also worked there. The internet, <laughs> the internet did not tell us that in our research. Oh, no, they did not. Yeah. So can you tell a, us the story? Like, that was how really, that go down? That was a really, yeah, that was hard, man. That was, uh, it was an interesting thing. You know, I think, you know, regarding relationships, um, you know, at that particular time in my life, my life was moving pretty fast. Um, and, you know, I put my relationship on the back burner. Right. We knew that it was broken and we were trying to figure it out. Um, mm. But we also knew that we couldn't, you know, we couldn't let each other go. Right. You know what I mean? My thing was like, hey, I got to I'm moving to California. I'm going to go to the French Laundry. I'll come back in two weeks and get you. She's like, uh-uh. Right. You know, and so we ended up moving to California together. And then from California, we moved to New York. And, um, you know, six months of being here, it was it was it was over. Had you already realized that you had feelings for Phoebe? Was there a crush? Um, yeah, I mean, I think there was a crush. I mean, uh, you know, as she walked in the restaurant the first day of training. I was like, "Who's that?" <laughs> right? Aww. You know, you know. So it was, uh. you know, it was definitely attraction. You know, and so uh, that was that was kind of it. And then we we started. You know, besides that, besides the, you know, the the elephant in the room, so to speak. I had I had I was with someone. I was living with someone. Um, and then it came to that time where it was time not to. Uh, and that's, so that's kind of how that, that, that went. And the other challenges were, you know, not spending so much time in her section <laughs> at work, um, seeing people out uh, when, uh, when, you know, when you know, I'm sitting here cozy, you know, mm. cuddled up at a bar, I'm whispering sweet nothings in her ear, and then the chef walks in the restaurant and I dive behind the bar. Because was know? there a no, cor- there was a no crossover? Yeah, with- well, I mean, I mean, in most work environments, there's, you know, there's no fraternization uh, and that that applied you know it was really interesting because I mean you spend so much time at the restaurant with these other people that you know it's hard not for it's hard not to have relationships bud um, and but, food and booze are involved in the social oh, totally. aspect of well, one of the things is, is too it's, it's one of those jobs where you still have to go and unwind right you end up hanging out with the people that one thing leads to another um, but for me that was you know that you know it was there were a lot of challenges did you come out as a couple together while you were still both still working there no uh, my wife uh, girlfriend at the time left to write a book about her experience of um, working at Per Se, and you know it was part memoir. Um, and no, so I mean people knew, um, but there's no scandal or anything. No, no. I mean, it, you know, I think it all came to a head one time when um, I, w- I walked into a manager's meeting and I looked at like the last page of the agenda, and uh, it had her name on it, and I was like, holy shit. <laughs> Uh, and then I tried to get up and go to the bathroom like three topics before they were like, you need to sit down. Oh no! Uh, so I sat down and at that particular moment I was informed that she was now considered press uh, and that anybody who spoke to her needed to speak to the PR company before. <laughs> so how did and so that? I was thinking like, wow, man, I either need to dump this broad or I need to quit. You know what I mean? It was so like, what did wow. you do, Andre? Uh, I, I ended up quitting. Aww, but you know, I think, there's the, I think there's those things in life you know, it, it took me out of my comfort zone. But th- I think that you need these shakeups in life to actually, to, in order to take that big leap of faith to do shit. What year right? was that? Uh, that was probably 2007. 2007. So that was yeah. the same year you started your own wine yeah. company. Yeah. So why did you start? So you left per se. Why did you start your own wine company? Well, I, I, for, for me, I really wanted to continue to learn about wine, right? I felt like, you know, I had worked my way up pretty fast up the ranks. Uh, and, you know, here I was, you know, working. I was the sommelier at the most anticipated restaurant opening in the last 15 years in New York City. Uh, and it became about more about managing people and less about 
like touching wine. I didn't get to touch wine anymore. I had four other sommeliers that worked for me. Um, and it was really hard, you know, every vacation that we had, you know, or closure that we had, it was, I, you know, I had to talk myself back into coming back to work. Mm. Right. And like, how do I fall back in love with this? Uh, and so for me, um, I really wanted to continue my education and my love for wine and to be around it every day. Uh, but also there were, you know, two other things that were kind of budding in my mind that I was really starting to understand about myself. Um, I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I always talked about like starting a company, just always shooting the shit, talking, oh man, I want to do this. I want to do that. Wouldn't it be cool if I started this company? It kind of thing. Right. Um, but then also I wanted to be creative. Mm. Um, and I found that being a sommelier, you know, I was more of a curator. Right. You know, we collected and we collected a story. I was, yeah, I was in charge of this list and I told that l the list story, but I didn't, you know, I didn't have my own to sort of say, to, to say. Um, and so, yeah, I took the plunge and said, you know what, this is what I want to do. You know, I want to have an impact on this in industry. Um, and I don't, you know, I didn't, I didn't know how I was going to do that, but I knew that I knew that working at per se wasn't as good as it got for me mm -hmm. that I needed to move on. So in the in the a very short amount of time within a, a matter of only a couple of years, you became the number one producing African American winemaker in the country, which is how um which is how you were you were connected to me. I was yep. told that when I was first emailed, mm -hmm. you were in the documentary Red, White and Black an Oregon Wine Story, uh -huh. whose tagline is really fascinating. The mythical unicorn is a black winemaker in Oregon. Mm -hmm. And the name of your company came from your nickname at Per Se evidently. So That's correct. Why first off, why do you think there are not more African Americans in winemaking in general? Because we don't see anybody. Right? What do you mean? Because because for most people they go through life and they see people that look like them doing things, right? Great things. But for some people, when they go through life and they don't see other people that look like them, so it makes them feel that they can't, it's not obtainable. Um, and so I, I think that's it. It's just not, it, and when you don't see other people that look like you in certain places, then you get, you, I think somehow you get this message that maybe you don't belong there. Uh, and then the wine, in the, in the wine industry in general, um, you know, is is pretty elitist. I mean, when you just think about fine wine, and it's just it's by its very nature, it is you know elite. Um, and so, yeah, you don't you just don't you just don't see a lot of that. You know, and like it's so funny because you say, oh, in a very short period of time, but you know, African Americans make up point zero one percent of total production, right? So it's it's not it's not this. It it doesn't take much to so be. It wasn't that. this big ladder that you. No, oh no. Up, I yeah. mean, well, it's well. I mean, yeah. It was. I mean. Yeah, in general, as as yeah, like what you had yeah, done, yeah, yeah. Like well, in general, years, yeah, you, you were, look, you look at, you look at, and say to be able to, to build a company with, you know, from receivables with no real investment or money, and I didn't go out and start a business plan, and, um, it, you know what I mean, and like paid myself six figures, right? I, let, I you know, I lived hand to mouth, right? Mm. You know, there were plenty of times that I had to go back and bartend uh, to kind of make ends meet, but, mm. but yeah, you just don't see a lot of people like me um, in the in the wine business and. You know, I'm I'm happy that that for those people that it matters to see people like that look like themselves that 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 it's me. So how did you become the trailblazer in this way? How did you like you didn't see yourself? How did you find yourself in the industry? How did you get there? What gave you the inspiration or courage? Ah, uh, you know, I mean, I I mean, I mean, it, it's for me, it's just not about this industry. I mean, it's my life, right? I mean, I I face the same obstacles that I would face. You know, if I was doing something else, just walking down the street, walking into the store, you know what I mean? So for me, I don't know, man, I, um, 
I was just, I was really, I worked in restaurants. I was really in restaurants. I think I saw at the beginning, I saw a lot of glam. I saw glamour in it. Like, you know, you worked at a restaurant you're like, wow, like always more than like almost always like the best dressed person working in the restaurant was a Samoa. It was a wine guy and he was like prancing around the dining room. You know what I mean? Opening bottles of wine. I was like, it's a very sexy thing to be like watching, watching these sommeliers. I was like, I want to do that. Wait, 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 wait. So you get paid to drink, open these bottles (laughs) of wine, do all these things. So it was, so, you know, it was, I think it was a little bit of that. Uh, And then when it, when it really got down to tasting wine, I was just blown away. I mean, you know, it was, it's just not, it, it is a beverage, but it's just not that, you know, it's history, it's geography, it's politics. I mean, it's war. I mean, it's all these things, right? That, you know, a wine tells a story, and that part I was fascinated with. Like in 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 school, you know, what I thrived on was 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 history. You know, you know what I mean? History was something really fun for me, and so um, that that was the connection. And once I got it, I didn't I didn't let go. You know, I, that was like I officially caught the wine bug, and that was just it. It didn't matter if anybody didn't look like me. I didn't give a shit. But like you know, I went through my whole life like that. I was like I was always probably the only person that looked like me where I was, but. You know, it's just it's just the thing. So my perspective on all this has been from the media side. Like I've done hundreds of interviews with mostly chefs, and it's always interesting speaking generally with women or minorities about the fact that they're often highlighted as being a female chef or a minor a minority chef. Mm-hmm. And I've gotten both sides both sides of the coin as far as like I just want to put my head down and do my work. It does not matter to me that I'm a woman. I don't want to be talked about as a female chef. I want to be talked about as a chef. Um, versus others who really do want to make a statement about the fact that I can do, you know, anything a, a male, a man can do, or, you know, this is how I'm expressing myself, or these are the challenges that I'm facing because I am not a white man. Okay. Which side of that coin do you fall on and what do you want to, and if, I mean, do you want to help things change? You talk about the history of wine. Do you want to change the history of the culture of it? Well, I mean, I, I feel like I shouldn't have to choose either side, right? I mean... The, the the difference is, is you could see what I look like when I walk in. You know, I challenge the status quo every time I walk into a place, right? Mm-hmm. When and and people are, are like, well, wait a minute, like, you know, they can't. They're trying to figure it out. But like for me, I don't feel like that. I that I have to have to choose. I don't. You know, it's it's yeah. just not a it's just not a a thing for me. You know what I mean? I, it's like I'm a human being first, and I make wine, and and I mean. You know, that's, I mean, that's, that's how I've always looked at it. It's, it's never been anything different for me. And if that, if that's way, if, if a certain publication wants to portray me as that, then that's, that's it. Right. I mean, I'm okay. I'm okay with that. Like, I'm not, I'm, I'm definitely proud of who I am and where I come from. And so if that's what the story is about, that's great. If it's not about that, then that's, that's all right. I don't, I don't know. I, I kind of. I kind of don't let it even bother me. I mean, I get how some people are like, yeah, I don't want to be considered a woman chef or a black winemaker. Um, but, you know, it's really none of my business how people see me. Right. So you just, you do you. That's my new favorite yeah. phrase. You do you. <laughs> well, I mean, right. I mean that, but that's all I know how to do. Yeah. Right? You know what I mean? And so, like, you just, totally. have, to, that you just have to keep, keep doing what you do. And, you know, people, people see, how you, see you, how you how they see you. Um, you. You know what I mean? Like, I show up. Right, <laughs> right. You know what I mean. I think I think you win by you know. I mean, eighty percent of winning is showing up, and for me, you know, I, we just show up. I, you know, I think that you know, it, it, it's still important for me to talk about this, right? Only because of how people people's reaction to me when I travel, 
right? You know what I mean? Like everybody says, you know, of course I want my wines to live on on, on their own merit, and they mm. do. I believe that they do, right? But you know, we still have to continue the conversation about this because most people, you know, most people. When you walk in, they, they, they have no clue who you are. They don't understand. You know, they can't fathom that. Like, no, Bob told you we were two months ago that we were going to have this meeting. And then when we show up, Bob walks in the front door. You say, hey, Bob. And then you look past Bob and you say, sir, can I help you? Right? You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. so I mean, and whatever, dude. Like, I mean, it, it's not that, it, not, not that it, it shakes me to my core. You know, like, I've been growing up this whole way. But it's just, it, we still need to continue the conversation. And... And, and most of the time, for me, it's not about a conversation. It's just about showing up. I right? think showing up, 80% of the, the game being showing up applies to a lot of things. That's no, a really good totally. way of looking at life. Yeah. Totally. Um, well, before, we're not going to have time for a third segment today, which is fine because this conversation has been delicious. Um, but you brought us this beautiful, I want to say slightly more, a slightly deeper Pinot than, I mean, we're used to very, you know, light Pinots, like yeah. loving the fact that but like, this one's got a little bit... Um, I don't know, is that a lot of cherry to it or something? I'm getting like a really dark red fruit in it, and mm-hmm. it's very got beautifully soft tannins that are getting softer the more I drink it. Um, and it's slightly deeper than Pinots that I'm used to from California. I guess maybe that's the... Are there deeper Pinots in well, yeah. Is that the sort of Oregon thing? Well, it just it depends. Normally in California, when you when people talk about deeper, they're talking about richer right. um, and rounder style. Uh, the closer you are to the equator, the warmer it is. The warmer it is, the more alcohol. Alcohol right. is perceived as body on your, uh, on your palate. Um, um, so for for this one, this is from 2013. This is actually picked before uh, we had a torrential rainfall, um, so we were ahead of a schedule. So it's a little bit more riper than than most years. Uh, so you're definitely getting that fullness and alcohol that you were talking about. Um, but it's got this really great balance between acidity. We only use about 25% um, uh, brand new French oak, just a, you know, a little bit as a more of a seasoning agent. Well, it's delicious, people. Vine and Supply. Go grab it. I thought we were going to talk more about, like, sex and the restaurant and all that other kind of stuff. Well, all right. What's, uh, what? If, listen, you okay. Go. If you want to bring... If Did you're you ever up, have sex in the restaurant? Why not? No. No, I didn't. Uh, not, not, not in per se, I didn't. Oh. <laughs> no. No, I didn't. What's your number one sex in the restaurant story? Go. There you go. Uh, employee bathroom in the middle of the rush. Wow. With your wife or with... No, no. No, Before the wife. Pre-wife. Yeah, this is pre-wife. This is, this is Texas. In, the ba- know, was, yeah, in was, Texas. I feel like Texas, you can get away with that shit. Yeah, yeah, the bathrooms like, are too small It was here. just kind of the total thing, like, like, you know, fantasy thing, like, oh. hey, I'm, I'm going to give you a look in the middle of the rush. That's He's, the look. That's Let's the just look. go. Wait, was this a customer? Bang it out. No. Oh, okay. Because that would have been badass. No, that's happened too, but... Well, to close this out... A, this is a family show, isn't it? Well, <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely well, not. To, to close out with one question about your family. Hide your so children. You've got, so you've got two boys, and you're yes. welcoming, you hope, a third boy. You don't know, though. But you're, you're going to have your child in your apartment in a tub? Correct. Yeah, no. Um, so we've had um, our third child. All of our children have been born at home. Uh, it's been this really cool thing. Um, you know, at first, I... I I didn't know how to feel about it, and I was like, no, no way. And then, you know, as we did more research, I became a, a lot more comfortable. Uh, now it's great. You know, I had like magnums of Riesling and charcuterie and, and stuff for the first one. It's the classiest home birth. Oh, I've it's ever. the best. You know, my brother in law made like a 13 hour playlist. Oh so each of my boys goodness. have like this music that they were Aww. born to. It didn't last 13 hours, but oh, it lasts more God like three. We even got to like even eat any charcuterie. It came Yay, so fast. Phoebe, go, Phoebe, go. But it was, uh, oh yeah, God. no, it's a, it's a really cool thing. And, you know, um, you know, like no one else gets to touch my kid. You know, my comes out, my wife grabs him, and then I get to, I get to hold him. And, you know, it's nothing. Aww. 
there's no other person and you know we get to we get to like try on names right you know, there's no one pushing like paperwork right. you know it's like my first kid is like we had thought of this name Finnegan and we're like oh this is such a cool name great and then it was kind of like when he came out he looked like Stanley and you're just like so you named him Stanley no we didn't we oh. tried on Stanley for a few days and that didn't work and so we went back to Finnegan Finnegan that's an wow. awesome name Finnegan is an awesome name right. Finnegan's a great Finnegan's name a really yeah, it's awesome better than name. Stanley yeah. Stanley's sorry really all cool the guys out there named Stanley Stan did he, turn, did he look more and more Finnegan. like Finnegan over the course of the few days or like you just like you were just like what? you look like a Stanley but you're still gonna be Finnegan yeah no I think like you know I think he the swollen you know he just came out you know he just kind of you know he just he looked, looked like, like a Stanley and we were just like as he, then he started to kind of mellow and we're like and we tried it on. We're like, Stanley, Stan. And I was like, no, no, no. And Finn. Then, and then, yeah. He mellowed like a wine into uh, Finnegan. Aww. Finnegan, yep. That's well, him. that unfortunately is our time today. Uh, Andre, thank you so much for oh, coming on you. our show. This was me? fun. We could have talked. We had more questions and we could have talked a lot longer. Um, but thank you for coming on. Uh, listeners, people, you can find Andre. Uh, you can find Mouton Noir Wines on Twitter and Facebook as Mouton Noir Wines and Andre on Twitter as Andre Mac, that's M-A-C-K, and on Instagram as You Know Mouton. Um, definitely go out and get their wines. The information on Andre and the winery will be on our lovebitesradio.com soon. So that is our show for today. Come back next week as we welcome Leite Sue, a fellow heritage host of the show Word of Mouth. Yeah, she's awesome. And a food journalist who travels around the world. And evidently, before we even launch this show, she's like, I've got stories. I've got stories about dating. I've got stories about dating in food. And I will tell you them. So yes, 22 weeks I'm later. Nervous. 22, I'm nervous. I can't you know? wait. We're going to have to get her so liquored up and just let her talk. So so until then, our theme song for this season is You Better You Bet, covered by Robbie Gill. But today, our theme song is Chloroform Perfume by No Denial. Uh, thank you to our sponsors. Our engineer today was Jack Inslee. And we are Jack Winterposo and Ben Rosenblatt. We'll be back at the same time next week here at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Later. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. <laughs>